For those of you who are staying with us, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel. Now, uh, we're doing it a little bit. By and large, we've done a chapter uh, a week. We're going to be doing it a little bit differently this week in that we're, we're going to move a little bit backwards and touch on something that we didn't give a, a lot of emphasis on last week when we were in chapter 21. So we're going to move back just a little bit to chapter 21 and just go a little bit into chapter 22. And um, last week, as we, we came and we looked at chapter 21, we looked at the reality of fear. And so we emphasized and we talked about fear. We talked about how David was running this one uh, once very uh, person filled with faith and courage is now on the run. He's afraid. And so we saw that in the reality of fear that God is at work in us, teaching us dependence. He is, teaching, he is shaping us, even in, in those places. We also looked and we saw the importance of, of, of speaking truth into that fear, the importance of speaking God's word, the importance of speaking the gospel into our places of fear. And when we do that, we actually becomes a, a catalyst and an arena uh, for us to be able to grow in our wonder and knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the other thing that we saw is the importance in our fear of being able to look for and receive grace in the midst of it. This week, as we talked last week about um, fear, and a, a lot of that is kind of a, a higher level look of what was going on, we're going to dive deep, a little bit deeper into David's mind. Because the truth is, while we were looking at this flight, and we were looking at it from a narrative standpoint, that's not all Scripture gives us in what's going on uh, with David. Because David wrote a number of Psalms. And what we're going to see, and we're going to look at four psalms in particular that actually tie with what David was experiencing during this time, in this flight, as he was acting like a madman in Gath, as he was driven to a cave in Adullam. And what we're going to see is the importance in those places of fear, in those places of despair, in our anxiety of the communication that we have with God. And we're going to be looking at this wonderful way of communicating with God called lament. And we're going to see the importance of lament. We're going to see how we lament. But most importantly, we're going to see how God is with us, helping us in our lament. And so we turn now to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. And we're going to look at verse 10 here. Hear now the word of the Lord. And David rose and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, and were much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them, and pretended to be insane. In their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gates, and let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is mad? Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone 
who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became a commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the fact that um, what you have called us to do is not to simply learn principles or moral, uh, moral ideals, but rather you have called us through your mercy and through your grace to know you, to know the power of your resurrection, to be in communion with you, Father. And so, Father, that is far greater than any simple escape, get out of jail free card. It's a promise that you are God with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you know us, that you care about us. And so, Father, may that reality enter into our ears, into our eyes as we see your scripture and we hear your word this morning. May it travel quickly uh, from our head and into our heart and ultimately into the rest of our body to live out the fruit of this wonderful inheritance of the gospel that you have given us. And lead us in your truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. In my last church, uh, we had merged churches and we were joined in a new body. And as I was getting to know the new church, one of the, the first individuals that really stood out was, it, he was a lay person, he wasn't on, on staff, but he was very involved with the church. And so, uh, and he had been involved for many, many years. He, they had had a children's sermon and he had done the children's sermon. He was just, he was quite, quite literally a clown sometimes. And I mean that. He would dress up sometimes like a clown for, for kids, not because he needed money, but just simply because he delighted in making kids laugh. And he loved to tell stories and he served on the worship team. And he was just, just a pillar of the gospel one who had just a, this rich, rich faith. But he was also diagnosed just a little bit before I came onto the scene with early onset Alzheimer's. And so this man who was such a vibrant um, fixture of this church, so seen both in his children's sermons and upstage through his uh, playing the guitar and singing each and every week, his outside visible role of, of being an encourager, being someone who is always pouring into other people's lives, was slowly being diminished. And he was moving to this new phase and walk of life within him. And eventually, as he moved, this very extroverted, very boisterous person slowly kind of closed off. He and his wife became very dear to me and my family and uh, I was le leading the small group, group that his, uh, he and his wife were part of. And we were in this small group, and we were talking, and we'd gone through the entire time, and he had not said a word. And most likely because he was probably not able to track and understand what we were talking about. And so we began then to move into a time of prayer. And in this time of prayer, we all began praying and if I'm being honest, they were fairly shallow prayers. You know, it's those prayers that you pray when you don't really want to be vulnerable with the people around you, when you don't really know the people that well. It was a fairly new group. 
and things kind of got quiet and got silent. And as the leader, I was taking this as my cue. I was like, okay, it's about time to shut this down. And all of a sudden, and in the midst of the quiet, Byron was his name, began to pray. And all the insecurities, all the frustrations that Byron had just kind of went away. And it was clear that he wasn't trying to pray in any way for anyone else to hear. He, this man who was somewhat tense from all the frustrations, it was almost like he had this exhale as he began pouring his heart out to God. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was having this conversation with God. And we got to listen in. Completely changed our group in many ways. And so what you saw is this man who often in early parts of his life, what you saw was the outward reflection as he was moving into this new phase. You began to see his inner heart, the way he communed with God. And my wife and I both were talking after that small group and we said, did, did you hear Byron's prayer? It was It was incredible. I learned a lot about prayer from Byron as he walked through Alzheimer's. One of the things that what we see in Byron and ultimately that we see in the life of David is the one who knows God, the one who is used by God, is ultimately one who has developed an inward life of prayer. And in that inward life of prayer, yes, they develop a place and a rhythm to express joy express praise, they express uh, how the, the faithfulness of God in the incredible ways that he has shown up, to declare rich theology of his faithfulness and his goodness. But also within that prayer life is the depth of the relationship to be able to lament, to be able to cry out to God, this is not right. To trust God in such deep and beautiful and wonderful ways that you can actually say, God, what's going on? What's going on with you? To trust him enough to take your heart's deepest wounds and give them to the Lord God Almighty and to believe and to trust that he hears. You see, David, in this time, we saw him moving from place to place. He had moved from outside the, uh, the king's court to on the run. And he's deceiving people as he goes. And now he's gone into the place of his enemies, into Gath, into the place of the Philistines, carrying, uh, which is where uh, Goliath was from. And so he goes to his enemy's city, carrying the weapon of the famous Philistine he had killed. And he's absolutely terrified for his life. So terrified, he begins acting like a madman and acting crazy because he's afraid. But we also see, and many of you may or may not know this, as we turn to the Psalms, we actually get a glimpse of the inner prayer life that, that David was doing during this time. And what's interesting, but there's, there's two Psalms for each. The one, two Psalms for his time as he was uh, dealing with his time in Gath. And two psalms that come to us as he was dealing 
uh, with his depression and discouragement in the cave of Adullam. And what's interesting is you look into these two psalms, and in many ways, if you were just analyzing the psalm, you wouldn't realize that they're from the same event. Because what you see is each each of these episodes have their two psalms, and each of them really kind of very widely in their emotional range. One of them is, is, one for each, is actually quite despairing, quite dark. The others are triumphant. Hey, look what God has done. I cried out. This poor man cried and he heard me. And so what you see is this whole just roller coaster of emotions. And yet in the full gambit of that roller coaster, the highs and the lows, his conversation with God never stops. And so we see in in, uh, Psalm 56, You see there in the inscription, and this inscription is inspired. It is part of the text. To the choir master, according to the dove on the far off uh, Terebinus. What does that mean? Have it the foggiest. Most people don't. A mitkam of David. Listen, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And he says this. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me, profound me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. O God, whose words I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. As they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. And wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of the tossings. But my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? When my enemies will turn back into the day when I call. This I know. That God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God. I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. He's processing. We already know he was afraid. And so he's saying, I need to take this fear and give it to you. And allow your goodness to overwhelm my fear. He's very bold in what he's saying. He's saying, look, all day long, it feels like I'm being attacked. And so we see a a little bit of a dark despair that is in there. But then we move to Psalm 34. And we're just going to look at the first 10 verses of Psalm 34. It says this. It's a psalm of David when he changed his behavior, behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And he says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name for together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. 
the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer wants and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so though this one is certainly a little bit more triumphant, he's acknowledging that there is a place that he's responding to from when he was crying out. This poor man cried. He's acknowledging that God was the one who soothed his fears. He was afraid. And he took those fears to the Lord and the Lord answered. But also as we look into the cave, in the, as we move into chapter 22, into the cave of Adullam, we can look at Psalm 142, uh, which, which is uh, the first of the two Psalms. And it says, it's a masculine of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. He says this, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. And so what is he saying right there off the bat? He's acknowledging, I'm taking my complaints. I'm taking the unfairness that it feels like this. I was, I was supposed to be king. I did nothing wrong. And I'm taking my complaint and my troubles before the Lord. The path where I walk is... They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me and to my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. What's he doing? He's crying out boldly. He's saying, God, I feel like I'm in a prison here. He's being honest with how he feels, and he's saying, I'm asking for you to deliver me. Psalm 57, the fourth and final psalm that we'll look at. Again, we see the roller coaster now is swinging up to the choir master, according to uh, Do Not Destroy, a mitkim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They set my net before my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they had fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. 
as we look at this, one of the things, the first things that we see is the raw emotion that David pours into it. And and God certainly isn't offended. In fact, he has made it by his divine sovereignty. He has taken these psalms and made them part of what has been the corporate songbook of his people for thousands of years. Thousands of years. He has called his people to say, this is part of how I want you to know how to worship me. This is for you guys to corporately to be able to sing. He is not embarrassed. He is not upset with David's emotions. And instead, he has called us to emulate them. You see, we struggle with that. A lot of times in our modern days of enlightenment and in our Protestant churches in America, where we we don't like to deal with things like grief. We want to look to optimism. We don't want to acknowledge when things are hard. That seems too negative. But God in his grace actually gives voice for us to be able to process all this with him in a way that brings us into him in a closer relationship with him. You see, Christianity, we don't grow simply in our relationship through some intellectual, abstract knowledge of memorization or learning. As good as memorizing things, learning new truths about God is is a beautiful and wonderful thing. It is not merely a cognitive, cerebral exercise. It is, in fact, a relationship with God. Paul says to know him and the power of his resurrection is his ultimate goal. And in that relationship that involves bearing before God all of our emotions. Now, we often hide behind this. We say, well, God knows it. God knows how I feel. God knows how I think about this. Why does he need me to say it? Once again, it's because we are moving into relationship. I've been married by God's grace for 22 years. 22 years. And what I've learned throughout that time is even though my wife may often know what I am thinking, part of being in relationship with her is to actually express that. To live and to share my emotional well-being with her. That's part of what's in a relation, being in a relationship. And one of the biggest frustrations, for her at least, and she loves it when I bring her into my sermons, she just loves it, is, is, um, is the way I process things. Because here is typically what I do when I'm really perturbed. This is what I look like. Here's what I do in what I look like when I'm pretty outraged. Here's what I do when she's saying, oh, this is bad. We need to figure this out. And I'm kind of overwhelmed with my thoughts and thinking. And she looks at me and says, are you a robot? But yet, what is going on in me? Am I uncaring throughout this process? No, my mind's like a squirrel going from this. Oh, this is a problem. This is going on. This is just I'm all over the place. Part of the reason I can't talk is because I can't process it all verbally. But there's an element of vulnerability when I open up and say, you know, this is, this is how I'm feeling. 
this time processing this. And granted, as I do need, that's just part of the way I process things. I need times to, to stop and think about it, to, to grasp what's going on. But if I deny that relationship, me processing the full scope of my emotions, I harm our relationship. That's part of being one together. Now, that's a very poor illustration for the way we are with God, of course, because God is so different from the rest of us, but yet, in the same manner, God has called us not to be just stoics, people who just go through acts and motions. He's not impressed, necessarily, with us, what, what we're doing or saying out loud for the, the way, you know, how well we're singing the songs, are we, are we reciting this or reciting that? Now, those things are all valuable because they can help train us in the way that we think. But ultimately, what God is calling us to do is to be in relationship with him. One of my all-time favorite books, the best book I've ever read on prayer, is uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Absolutely, at least thus far, has changed my life, changed my prayer life. But one of the things that he emphasizes in this book, he says, well, this is a, a book on prayer. This is not a book about technique. Really, it's about knowing and being in relationship with God. How do we know God within you? And so, despite David's fear, and this is a big thing, because He's done some pretty, as we saw last week, pretty questionable things. He's shown a lot of fear. He's shown a lot of deception. But yet he didn't allow his shame to hold him back in relationship. You know, sometimes if, if I'm feeling shameful about some of the thoughts I'm thinking, I don't want to share it with my wife. I don't want to share it with other people. And sometimes if I'm not feeling very proud of my thoughts and my inner life, it's amazing how I can find other things to do besides prayer. Because I don't want to deal with those. I don't want to acknowledge them. But God in His grace and His mercy, the God who knows all of our thoughts and is certainly not impressed when we try to snowball Him with fake religious actions or fake religious piety, he calls us to take the full gambit of all that we are and all that we're feeling, to not just stew it up and think and to plan, but to give it to Him. Because here's the thing, when we give it to Him, it is an ultimate act of trust. It is saying, I trust you, not only with my emotions, but with everything that is going on in this situation. I can't fix this. I'm not in control. You are, and I give it to you. And so we see the importance of lament, but the question oftentimes we have is, how do we lament? It sounds good in purpose, but it can become so overwhelming when we're in the moment. What does this look like? How do, how do we do this? Well, the first thing, and let me give you, uh, let me give you four uh, these aren't laws, they're not rigid, but suggestions that we see on how we can lament well. 
And this is important. And we were talking about this in Sunday school. Because there's a difference between lamenting with God and grumbling. And I would argue that the grumbling that makes God angry, like what you see with his anger with the children in Israel, is when you're grumbling about God, you're just talking about God in unbelief. Lament is taking all of your emotions, even the ones you're not proud of, to God. You're talking to God, not about God, and you're ultimately handing over him, and there's an element of trust within that. So even when we say things we're not proud of, like Job, who gets downright feisty at times, there's an element of trust within that because it's taking it to God. And so the first thing I would say in how do we limit well is you come honest. You come honest. In Psalm 142, which we read just a little bit ago, Paul Uh, David says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. He was honest. This is how I feel. Sometimes when I'm talking to people who's not my wife, I can try to twist it in a way so that I, I can sound like I'm coming off a certain way. And wouldn't you know it? Sometimes they don't know what I'm talking about. God already knows the depth of your heart. There's an element of trust of just being honest with him and how you're filled. He's big enough and he's gracious enough to handle it. We see even with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, one who is able to sympathize with us in all of our plight. We see in the garden him wrestling with what is coming as he cries out to the Father, if there be any way to remove this cup, do it. There's an honesty within that. Now there's a surrender as well as he says, but ultimately not my will, but your will be done. But he gives for us the Lord Jesus Christ who is perfect in every way without sin, be able to be bold in taking our struggles and our frustrations with the situation to God. And even when our frustrations, and we know how we're feeling is sinful, when we're feeling hatred towards person and anger, we know that that's not right. Take it to God still and acknowledge that, God, I know I should be forgiving. God, I know I should be able to let this go. That's what you call me to do. But all I can feel is just a boiling anger. Be honest with God and take it to him. There was a time in which I was really struggling with anger at, a, at someone. Uh, because it's something had done, they had done to a family member. And I was supposed to be preaching in a few days at another. At, uh, this was before I was in full-time ministry. And as I just relieved the, heard the news and the person on the other end of the line who was just sobbing and crying over the evil that had been done to them, I just stepped in my office in my study at home. And I just cried out to God and I said, God, I know I'm supposed to love. I know that I am supposed to forgive, but all I can feel is hate. I need your spirit to work in me. 
And I believe that was the most honest thing I could have said right there. If I had tried to make something up, I would have been dishonest not only with God, but with myself. Take our honesty and trust that as the Spirit is at work, yes, there is going to be sinful emotions within us. But God, as He is this patient, glorious, and good physician, will be at work in our souls, drawing us and moving us, sanctifying us in that moment, and enabling us to give over in our hate and our anger to places of trust. So be honest with God. Secondly, be bold in asking God to be your deliverer. And this is the other thing that separates grumbling from laments. In lament, you're acknowledging the difficulty, but you're also acknowledging God to be the one who is your Savior. He is the one who is your ultimate provider. He is the one who holds tomorrow in his hand. And so you're releasing your control to be able to fix this situation. You're releasing your control over what will be and say, God, ultimately with boldness, I need you to be my deliverer in this moment. The third thing is to purposefully turn to him in trust. And you see that in, in the Psalms we just read. And we are to go through all the Psalms and the Lament Psalms, and there's a bunch of them. There's this place in which the psalmist turns and expresses trust in God. And there's a place within us as we turn and we go to him in emotions that we intentionally say, God, ultimately, I will trust you. Now, sometimes that is hard. And sometimes as we do that, we are like the father in Mark 9 who cries out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we lament that and we send that over to him. But ultimately, in those moments, we are saying, Jesus, you are the object of my faith. And though I am struggling to feel it right now, I am putting my trust in you. The fourth thing, and this is, this is very much my opinion, and the, the, the first three you can see quite clearly from, from the Psalms. This, this fourth one here actually um, is more of my opinion, but I would say come with pen and paper. Come with pen and paper. In other words, journal this. It's good and it's certainly nothing wrong with just crying out to God. And sometimes you have that. You're in your car and you're just crying out and you're an emotional mess. And that's okay. But as Howard Hendricks, professor at DTS, said, the pen is a mental crowbar. A lot of times as we journal and we write these things down, our laments down, they become, they serve two purposes. The first is they help us process it. They slow us down, and they help us to be intentional as we lament. The second, the, the second thing it does is it also provides places of monuments that we can go back and look to, places where you had cried out to God and seen where he had answered. 
So if you were to look at some of my journals that I have, that I've collected throughout the years, if you were to go back and to read through them, you'd think, wow, I can't believe this guy's a pastor. Did, did, did he, was, was he really thinking this? Was he really struggling with this? That's why I like the old, uh, the old uh, rhyme. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, throw my journal in the lake. This is, my journals are not for posterity, folks. But there's been often times as I've gone back and I've flipped through and looked and say, wow, I remember. I've forgotten, but I remember. I was in a dark place. But God was faithful. God was faithful. There's another thing, and you can, you can use this, you cannot use this. And there's, there's a template. Mark Vagrop has written a wonderful book. And if this is something that you want to grow more into, I would encourage you, one of, the, one of the good, accessible books. There's a lot of different books, but a very good, accessible book that was written recently is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vagrop. And it's developing kind of a pastoral, both theology and application of lament, showing how to do it and the importance of it, and and, and it really just goes into details, uh, uh, quite details. But in the end of his book, he has uh, an appendix where he gives you kind of a worksheet in how to process lament within that. And so in in the worksheet that he has within there, he, he kind of breaks into three columns. The first column is just showing what it's supposed to be within there. Uh, and, and he breaks the, the three things that he calls you to do into the categories of turn to God, bring your complaint, and ask boldly, and then finally choose to trust. And so within, that's the first column, it just has these categories. And then in the second column, he has a place for you to write psalms. So in other words, where you go, and you can see it there on the screen, where you can go and you can write specific psalms that you've looked to, that you've meditated upon, and say, here's a psalm that, that conveys the emotion that, that, that I can, can connect with uh, in turning to God in this moment, or in my complaints in this moment, or asking boldly in this moment, that conveys this choosing to trust that I, I, I'm seeking for God to enable me to do. And then in the third category, you're taking the psalm that you've been meditating and praying on, and you're writing it out for you and for your situation in your words specific to what you are dealing with. And so I do have a few templates uh, down here. If you want, if you want a blank template, I've, I've done a few of them. Uh, it's limited in scope, but I, I do have a few in there that if you want. The final thing I would mention is, is this, and this is somewhat subjective, but I have found that when you're going through lament, you need a good soundtrack. Not necessarily while you're lamenting, but while you're working through the process. And when you're in these deep places of hurt, you need songs that aren't bubblegum. You need songs that take you deep into the Father's love. Now, music is subjective. And I started trying to, to, to look through different uh, albums and a bunch of different genres. 
and that forced me to listen to genres I didn't enjoy listening to. And life is too short. So I'm giving you two that I are actually three that I like. And so you may not like this particular genre. Um, we'll pray that your taste improve. So the first one that I would really recommend is a, that's a kind of a modern praise album is by Shane and Shane. And it's called Psalms, uh, Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs Live. Available Spotify, Apple Music, and all of that. And I will say that as I was thinking through this sermon, this felt like a soundtrack to it. Uh, and so it's just, in so many of the psalms that they do, they're actually, they've written songs based on psalms. Uh, and so there's just some really rich theology that's just very well done. And it just really connects. Uh, second one is also from Shane and Shane. And, it's their, and this is a little bit older album, but it's their Psalms Project Volume 2. And that's where they've taken, uh, again, you'll, Psalm 142 is one of them, if I remember it correctly. Um, they've taken these psalms and they've put them to music. Very well done. Uh, and it's also good. The, the final one is pure subjective, and this probably tells you more about me than anything else, but uh, the works of Andrew Peterson after all these years. That's a little bit more indie folk. The first two are a little bit more of a worship feel to it. Uh, this one's a little bit more of an indie folk, but uh, I find that you, you, uh, Andrew Peterson does a really good job of dealing with lament and processing it and taking it to, the, to Christ in hope. But the good news is, and this is my final point, in how to lament, one of the key things for us to remember is God doesn't leave us to do it on our own. He doesn't leave us to do it on our own. In fact, we have this wonderful promise that God actually helps us with our lament. And the first way that he helps us with our lament is he's actually given us these lament psalms. So in other words, he's not asking us to simply process and write these all from scratch. He has given us a template and he's also given us this incredible songbook that has all this vast of emotions for us to, to be able to meditate on, to pray on. When we ourselves don't know what to do, what to think, when our mind is so just turned about, the good news is we can go to these psalms and God gives us words to pray back to it. And so one of the key things I would encourage you to do is learn to pray the Psalms. Learn to pray Scripture itself. And I think you'll find that it will hit your heart in ways that will break you emotionally. As you say, I can't believe. And it just affirms that God understands how you're feeling. Paul Miller that wrote the book I was talking about in prayer. He went through a time of depression and discouragement where he went through an entire season where all he could do was pray the 23rd Psalm. That's all he could do. But yet God used that to enrich him and deepen his prayer life. So praying them, memorizing them, having them deep. Now, also what I have found, if I'm being honest, like maybe many of you, I'm not real good at just root memorization. If I can say, okay, I'm going to memorize Psalm 25. 
However, as I have learned and developed a habit of praying Scripture, what I have found is in that process of praying and in Scripture, it has become internalized within me. And even though I might not be able to say, okay, this is Psalm 91, verse 5, as I begin to pray throughout, Scripture begins to come out of me as I pray. And that comes to me just simply with the discipline of having prayer cards that, that I've matched to Scripture to go with what I'm praying, or, or a lot of times what I've been doing recently, praying through Psalm 91 and Hebrews 12. Later on in those places, those verses just come out of me. And they become very grounding for me within that. The second way that God helps us is in the lament psalms, he points us to Jesus. It's amazing in how many in the lament psalms you find their laments, yes, they speak in the echo the situation of the writer, but they also are messianic in that they're pointing to the life ministry of Jesus Christ. As we meditate on them, yes, we can uh, deal with them emotionally, but it also points us to his ultimate redeemer, our ultimate hope of Jesus Christ. The fact that God is with us, that in Jesus Christ he came into this world of darkness, and he tabernacled among us. It fixes our eyes off of ourselves into the reminder that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ is coming again. The reality of our Savior, which makes all the difference in the world. He is quite simply God with us. And they point to Jesus because Jesus was the man of sorrows. He was the one who put upon himself the weight of sin on the cross. He took it upon himself. So he understands sin and sorrow, quite frankly, better than any of us, yet was without sin. And ultimately, he is the one who conquered death in his resurrection. And so he gave us laments, but in the laments, he pointed us to his ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. The third thing, and this is so beautiful, is he gives us his spirit. You see, for all those who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, trusting in his grace alone, he not only saves us, but we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit breathes life into us and it guides us and directs us. It points us to truth. But there's also this wonderful reality that we find in Romans chapter 8. And that's when we are in this place of brokenness, when we don't even know what to pray for, we have the assurance that the Spirit himself is praying for us, taking our prayers before the throne of God. I saw a very vivid example with this, with the very first man I began talking about, Byron. See, Byron, as his Alzheimer's progressed, eventually we, he, his family had to put him in a home. And so towards the end, I was visiting in his, uh, in his, in his home, 
And I would go there, and, I'd, and, I'd, and if I'm being honest, he was, he was completely blank. And so I was studying with him, and I was trying to talk to him, but he was pretty blank. And so finally I said, okay, well, I'm just going to read Scripture and pray. And so I began reading Scripture to Byron. And something amazing happened. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating this, this, this honest truth. As I began reading Scripture, this man who was just blank, almost kind of staring off in the space, all of a sudden his eyes focused and his head turned like this. He began immediately becoming engaged as I was reading Scriptures. And I turned to him after reading and I said, Byron, I'm going to pray for you now. Do you want me to pray for anything? And he was not very communicative at that point, but he said, all these people, they need what you just read. They need to hear this. That was his prayer request. So I said, okay, Byron. And so then I began to pray. And as I finished praying, I thought that would be the end of it, but it wasn't because you see Byron wanted to pray at that point. Didn't invite him to, didn't ask him to, but at the end, he began praying. Now, if I'm being honest, his prayer was complete gibberish. But within him was this internal focus. Everything about the whole rest of his tone, his voice matched that first prayer that I began talking with. And in my mind, I honestly believe it is the Holy Spirit brought to my mind that passage in Romans 8, when it says, when we don't know to pray as we ought, the Spirit takes our prayers before him with groanings before the throne of God and interprets them. In that moment, I am 100% convinced the Spirit took the prayers of Byron's heart before the Father and they were heard. We have the assurance, friends, the Spirit is with us and helping us. You are not alone. God is with us. So how are you dealing with your stress? Can I invite you, can I implore you, take them to God. And if you're here today and you're trying to deal with life and all the difficulties, and you're trying to deal with them on your own, and maybe you came here today because you're just hoping that some sort of religion would give you some sort of moral guidance or technique on how you can fix your life. But I have nothing like that to offer you. Instead, I have something far more glorious. It's a Savior who can save you. Through no work of yourself, no, through anything you've done, but by simply turning to Him in dependence and faith for the forgiveness of your sins and for the newness of life. So won't you do that today? Father, we thank You for Your glorious grace and mercy towards us. Lord, in Your goodness, You have not simply given us steps and techniques to follow, sacrifices to give. Instead, You have invaded into this dark world and You have given us a relationship with You through Your grace. You have taken our brokenness. You have taken the ashes. You have taken the mess of our life. You have taken it upon Yourself. 